First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Thus says the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It is without error. Lord, speak through me. Use the spirit of God through the word of God, by the power of God, to work in the hearts of the men and women here. Thank you for what a high privilege it is to preach your word, Lord God. I pray that you will increase and I will decrease during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message, the question that kept coming to mind is, why? Why are the stakes so high? Why does Peter go out of his way to, make, to show the weight that God puts on husbands? Saying phrases like, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Why does he say that by failing to do so, your prayers would not only be negatively affected, but there's an obstacle between the husband and his Lord by not treating his wife the way that God has told him to do so. Why does Peter address husbands and wives at all? If you're familiar with the book of 1 Peter, you understand that the theme of 1 Peter is hope through suffering. Peter is talking to this group of elect exiles that are experiencing some of the hardest persecutions you can ever imagine. Peter himself was believed to have been crucified upside down. And we're talking about tortures and beatings and all these things. As these Christians are running for their lives, why did Peter feel, feel the need to even mention husbands and wives at all? Why did he go into such detail to explain how husbands are to treat their wives and then to say the consequence of failing to do so? To answer that question of why are the stakes so high, and that's the title of our message, by the way, we have to go back to the beginning. If you've been with us this year, you know that we've walked through the book of Genesis. We've taken a break as we're walking through this family equipping series this summer. We look to go back to Genesis here pretty soon. But you'll see that God created the world. He is the creator. He created everything we ever have seen. Our little girl Callie likes to say, Dad, who made that? Who made that? That's an easy answer. God, 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 God. Now she says, what, what is sin? What is all these? That's a little tougher. But, but when it's who created this? God. And as you read through chapters 1 and chapter 2, you see that God created man, God created woman in his image. And God created the first marriage. In Genesis 2.24, we see, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, or cleave in some translations, and they shall become one flesh. You see, God created the first marriage before the fall of sin. Have you ever thought about that? That before sin into the world and tried to mess marriage up, and boy, does sin try to mess marriage up. God created marriage between one man and one woman to be together as one in all things. But sin didn't, did into the world, didn't it? Sin came in, and marriage has been a mess ever since. And the evil one has tried to attack marriage at every chance that he gets. Yet God still chose marriage to represent his eternal covenant with his people. To use marriage to represent Jesus Christ, the bride, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ, the groom, and his church, the bride, the church being the global church, his people, anyone that calls on the name of the Lord, together as the church, he chose marriage to represent 
the gospel. And we see that as Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 26, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So God created marriage and uses marriage to help us understand the gospel. Marriage is to point towards the gospel in everyday life. Well, if you're new to the faith or you've been around, gospel is one of those churchy words that seems to get thrown around a lot. So what is the gospel? Because we're going to talk about the gospel all through this. To understand marriage, you have to understand the gospel. So what exactly is the gospel? It comes from the Greek word good news. And to understand what the good news of the gospel is, you have to understand what the bad news is. The bad news is, is that after God created Adam and Eve, sin entered the world. And, as, and they were corrupted from the inside out. And so as descendants of Adam and Eve, which everyone who's ever lived has been a descendant of Adam and Eve, they are corrupted from the inside out. They are born with a sin nature. And I could make a joke about my kids, but I'm not going to. They are born with a sin nature. And so what that means is that as generations keep reproducing, sin is like a genetic disease that just moves from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And there's no cure. But God loved his people so much that he sent Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. So that everything you ever thought, said, or did that's displeasing to God was put on Jesus Christ. And all of his righteousness, as he lived the life we, we could not live and died the death we could not die, was put on us. So that we could be made new in him. And we saw that represented in the baptisms today. As they were buried with Christ in baptism, they were raised as he was raised to newness of life. You see, it's not the death of Jesus that, that caused these Christians in the first century to get persecuted. If you read through history books and different things, there's not a ton of discrepancy on the death of Jesus and that he lived historically. What gets you killed is believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is not dead anymore, that he is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. So why go into all of this? Because to understand what God says about marriage, we have to understand the gospel. And to understand the gospel, we have to understand the bad news that we were sinners and the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for us. So Peter understood the high calling that husbands have. He understood that no matter if you were in the first century being persecuted, hiding in a house church, or if you were sitting in Wando Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina in 2022, that God has placed a high calling on husbands to represent Christ. And what did Christ do for his bride? He loved her so much that he died for her. So, as we're walking through this text, another way to think about it is Peter understood marriage is not to be taken lightly. It's our introduction point because God does not take marriage lightly. So our big idea today, our main idea that we want to look at is God puts such a weight on husbands because husbands are called to represent Christ and his glorious gospel. Jesus took his role seriously, as we've seen through the text, as we saw in Ephesians 5, as we'll see here today. Jesus took his role seriously, husbands, so I'm calling you out that it's time for us to take our role seriously as well. So as we walk through this verse, we're going to look at two ways that husbands are to treat their wives, and then we're going to look at the consequence of failing to do so. How husbands are to treat their wives. Point number one, husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. This point right here could be an entire sermon, but I couldn't get three weeks. I'm lusty at one week. I couldn't get three weeks 
to unpack this whole sermon. Husbands, live with your wives. That word live, you dig into the original language, means to dwell, means to do life with her, to live intimately and share all areas of your life. This doesn't just mean that you share a home, you share a mortgage, you share car payments, maybe you're still paying off student debt, you share all of those things. It is that you become one with her, not just physically, you become one with her emotionally, her needs become your needs. You love her like Christ loves the church. You're one in all things. So this means, husbands, that when you come home at 5 o'clock, your job's not done. Your job is to be the loving leader that God calls you to be and be that husband for her. You see, that means nothing's hidden from her. You are open. You are vulnerable. She knows the deepest areas of your heart. You don't hide that from her. Because when you say, I do at the marriage altar, you come up here as two people, but you leave as one. And that, that is a profound mystery. I see why Paul calls it a mystery in Ephesians 5, how it relates to the gospel, that Jesus Christ wanted to become one with us. Because you see, is this not what Christ did? Did he not come dwell with his people? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and lived with his people and he was 100% God and 100% man. If you read through, especially the book of Mark, you look at Mark 1, Jesus had a busy life. He did ministry, and he went out, and he was among the people, and he still got up after a hard, long day, spent time with his father, and then was interruptible for the people in his life. And he looked to live life with the people. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see how intimately Jesus dwelt with his people. He sets the standard. This is what we're called to do, husbands. See, our society tells us it's okay to kind of section, thing, section things off and like, well, this is, this is my work life. This is my school life. This is my home life. This is my church. This is what I do. And my wife is in maybe three quarters of it. Well, no, you're not three quarters with her. You are whole. You are one with her. So we are called to dwell intimately with her like Christ did. Some of you might be saying, well, yeah, that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus resurrected. He went, he went into heaven. No, Christ still dwells with his bride through the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's the kicker, is that Christ doesn't dwell intimately with everyone. We, we don't believe in a universalist where everyone just deserves to, to, to go to heaven based on their good outweighing their bad. No, Jesus dwells intimately with his bride. Those that profess faith in Christ, those that believe that it is only through him that they can achieve eternal life. Yet that is open for everyone, but Jesus does not live with anyone else's wife. He lives with his wife and dwells intimately with her. Husbands are called to live this way. It's not an open invitation to all women. This doesn't say that, hey, you're a friendly guy. You live and share your life with all women. No, it, it is your wife. The text says, likewise, husbands live with your wife in an understanding way. You don't live with my wife in an understanding way. You live with your wife in an understanding way. Men, some of you live in the same house as your wife. Maybe you have for many years. But you don't treat her as one anymore. She is sectioned off from so many areas of your life. And it's time to see that, likewise, husbands, live with your wives. Be that one woman man. She is the only one whom you live this out with. She is God's provision for 
you. How dare we not take that seriously? So as husbands are called to live with their wives, they must do so in an understanding way. So what is understanding way? That word understanding, the original language, is the same word we have for knowledge, gnosis. Meaning, and this doesn't just mean a surface level knowledge. This means a deep foundational knowledge of who she is. And we do that by continually getting to pursue her. You become a master of your wife. You become a student of her. You never graduate. You don't earn the diploma. Is you are a continual student of your wife. And we do this well in dating, don't we? I'm trying not to make eye contact with my wife over here, but we, we do this well in dating where we get the flowers, we get the chocolates, we go to the movies, we do all these things. As we were dating in college and I had $8 in the bank account, we had $7 for a date. We, had, we, we, we gave it all to try to impress her, to woo her, and then, but with the goal of getting to know her better and trying to understand who she is, how she is, and what makes her tick. But yet somewhere along the line, the kids come along, the careers get busy, uh, activities get, get in the way, and, and we stop. We treat her like we have, we have arrived, that we already know everything there is to know about her. When Leanne and I were dating, and we were kind of getting to that point where I knew we were going to get engaged, and we were home for the summer in college, and we were, out, we were out to eat with my grandparents, and it was kind of a family event. And at that, at that point, they've both gone home to be with the Lord now, but they've been married over 50 years. And, and I asked my grandfather, I said, man, 50 years? I bet, I bet you know everything there is to know about, about grandma, right? You, I mean, you guys have been, been married this long. You've had four kids, countless grandkids. You've moved around the country something 15 times. You, you've, you've just done it all together. You've been together hand in hand. And he said, without blinking, I learned something new about your grandma every single day. That stuck with me that here was a man after 50 years was still pursuing his wife and knowing her and understanding her and getting to know her at a deeper level. Because as seasons and times change, you both change. And you must continually get to pursue her and live with her in that understanding way, having that knowledge, being a student of your wife. Does not Christ do this with his bride? Sure, he already knows everything there is to know about us. But Christ invites his bride into a deep fellowship where we are fully known and loved despite all of our sins, shortcomings, and flaws. Think about that for just a second. That Christ knows everything you've ever thought, said, or did. Knows everything you've, you will say or think or do. Yet, he invites you into a relationship with you anyway. So men, living with your wife in an understanding way means that no matter what she's done, no matter what she said, no matter what she does, you have a spirit of forgiveness, you have a spirit of love, and you look to be that student of your wife. Because Christ models that so well. This is our standard. How are we doing at living up to it? As I was working through this, this was the question I hated asking myself. How am I doing at living up to this standard? Christ sets it so high, and there's too much at stake for us not to take our roles as husbands seriously. Point number two is we're coming in. Husbands are to show honor to their wives as the weaker vessel. Uh, when I was in Rodney's office on Thursday, he said, what part of the sermon are you most nervous about? Saying the word weaker up here on stage to describe women. 
But weaker in this context is not a bad thing. Weaker in this context does not mean less than. And so to understand this part of the verse, we have to understand what Peter's trying to say by weaker. God values men and women equally, but gives them different roles in the home and the church. Here's what weaker doesn't mean, ladies, is that you are any less than your husband. Because going back to creation, God created man, God created woman in his image. You were bought with a price, as we'll get to here in just a second. So your role is different. It is not less than. Your role is just different. And the roles might be, one might be more public-facing than the other. One might be doing this or doing that. But that is what we are called to do. Men and women created equal in the eyes of God, yet different roles in the home and the church. So when he says vessel, what he means is her physical body. He means that often wives are not as physically strong as men. It's just how often wives are not as physically strong as men. Typically, men have the stronger physical strength. Which begs the question, men, what are you doing with that physical strength? See, wives might not be as physically strong as their husbands, and husbands must be aware of this and use their strength to provide and protect for their wives. She might not be as physically strong as you, but she is by no means inferior to you. Now, that doesn't mean she's, at least in my case, she's smarter than you, and she's better at just about everything else. Physical strength, that's the one thing I know I have. (laughs) She is not inferior to you in any way, shape, or form. She is made in the image of God. She physically is not as strong. So husbands, you are to use your strength to provide for and protect your wife. Again, weaker doesn't mean less than. We believe in a complementarian view of marriage, meaning that as God created husbands to represent Christ, he created wives to represent the church. Those roles can't get switched. This is how he has designed it, and this is what we are called to do. So husbands, use your strength to provide and protect for your wives. Again, pointing it back to Christ. Is this not what Christ did? He was 100% God, 100% man, and as he dwelt with people, weren't the people the weaker vessel? I mean, he had all the power of God. We see that through the Gospels as he's healing people left and right, raising people from the dead. He had all the power of God, yet he used his strength as God to provide and protect for the people. He provided in countless different ways of providing the feeding of the 5,000, providing in all these different things. He protected the people. He protected them from uh, all kinds of stuff. Read through, the, read through the Gospels. You understand what I'm trying to say, that Jesus being fully man, fully God, provided and protected for his bride. So shouldn't we do the same? But Here's where sin comes into marriage. Men are tempted to use their strength to intimidate and coerce coerce their wives. And this is strictly against what God's telling us to do. Is Just because you're stronger doesn't mean that you should get your way. You are to live with her in an understanding way because she's the weaker vessel. You are to use that strength. So husbands, how are you using your strength? Are you using it to intimidate to get what you want? Or are you using it to provide and protect as Christ did for his bride. The next part of this verse is show, show honor. This word for honor means to assign value. We show her honor by assigning value to her. Husbands and wives are heirs of grace. She is precious. She has a value assigned to her by you. 
Does your wife feel precious to you day in, day out? Not just on an anniversary, not just on, a, on, a, on Christmas, her birthday, or when you're trying to say, I'm sorry. Does she feel valued by you every single day? Showing honor can mean being respectful, being loving, being caring, and being the loving leader you're called to be, that she needs you to be. This means that your wife has never valued any less in your eyes. You see her as precious. The way you love her, the way that people out in public see that you love her, the way that your kids see that you love her, does it show that she is valuable to you? And by the way, since I mentioned kids, I guess the children's pastor is coming out. But the, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids outside of discipling them, sharing the gospel with them, is a biblical marriage. Because every time they turn on the TV, every time they maybe go to a friend's house or they go here, they go there, they're going to see an unbiblical view of marriage. And the world is out there trying to pollute our kids and our families with unbiblical views of marriage. So dads, as you disciple your kids, do your kids see, man, dad loves mom so much. What makes dad love mom that much? Why does dad go to such great lengths for mom? Why? Because the gospel. Your marriage should open up gospel opportunities in your home. Does your wife feel more precious to you over time or less precious to you over time? She is heirs with you. What Peter's trying to say is that she was bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for her sins just as much as he died for mine, died for any of the men in the room. You see, in that, in that context, in the first century, women were viewed much lower than men. They, oftentimes they weren't even given, given privileges to speak. They had to have their head covered and different things. But what Peter's trying to say is that, hey, she is just as valuable in the eyes of Christ as you are husbands. She is valued by Christ. She should be valued by you as well. She is heirs with you. If you think about it, about your own wife, it gets really personal. You think that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for my wife and that he loved her so much that he died for her. Christ sets the standard. He assigns value. He shows, he shows her honor. He lives with her in that understanding way. See, as Christ assigns value to his bride, and I mentioned this a little bit already, I got ahead of myself, but Christ purchased his bride with the high price of his blood. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you were bought with a price. You ever think about that? You were bought with a price. You were ransomed from sin and death because of what Christ did for you. He shed his blood so that you could have eternal life with the Father. Christ shed his blood for your wife, for you, for everyone in this room. How dare we not treat our wives as that valuable? Personally, when you think about that you and your wife are so valuable to Christ, you paid the, paid the price to everyone in here, it, it just creates an air of humility. And then he says you're heirs. So, so Jesus Christ, think about this, that Jesus Christ came, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we couldn't die. We have his righteousness imputed onto us. So when God sees you after you put your faith in Christ, no matter what you've ever done, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you're saved, 
And when God looks at you, he sees Christ. He doesn't see all the things you've done that let him down, all the sins that you might be hiding in your closet, those that need to get made right. He doesn't see those things. He sees Christ. He sees Christ. We are heirs. We are now sons and daughters of God Almighty. Your wife is an heir. If she's a follower of Christ, your wife is an heir of God. This is how we show honor. This is how we show value to our wives. Husbands, if your wife was to be asked anonymously, if she felt valued the longer you are married, if she felt more valued as more time went on, what would she say? Or if you could think about this last week, let's say you had the office documentary crew that was able to follow you around all week and you could just go back and watch your life and you watched how you treated your wife. Would you see the gospel lived out or would you see something less than? What area would you see that you're not assigning value to your wife? What area would you see that you're not dwelling with her as one? What area would you see that you're not living with her in an understanding way? You're not treating her as an heir of Christ. Your kids see it. Your small group see it. Your fraternity group sees it. Your wife sees it. So, why are the stakes so high? For husbands, as we come into the consequence, why does God put such heavy stakes on the husbands? God puts such a heavy, a heavy weight on husbands because they represent Christ and his love for the church. See, that consequence is that we sin. So we have this laid out. Here's how we're supposed to treat our wives. and But we sin. We fall short. We mess it up. And so there's sin in between us and God. Therefore, our prayers are hindered. Sin, God cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin is what naturally separates us from God. That's why Jesus had to come initially anyway. But so when we sin, when we say, no, I know I'm supposed to treat my wife like this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it like this anyway because I'm tired or because I'm selfish or whatever it may be that day, you sin. And then you go and ask God, say, God, I'm really worried about work. I'm really, he's, you're hindered. Your relationship with your creator, with your savior is hindered because you didn't take your role seriously because you did not treat her the way she was supposed to be treated that word hindered means to impede or block as i was talking through this with rodney he shared one of the, the books he was reading think about it like god is the father-in-law and then your wife so if you're not treating his daughter very well and you say hey father-in-law can you come help me do excellent yeah. well I'm not going to help you until you make things right with my daughter. Make things right with her, then I'll come help you. I think that that analogy is really helpful to understand that how serious God takes this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, when the horizontal relationship of your marriage is not right, it impedes the vertical relationship with your Savior. So when you're not right with her, you're not right with God. That's how serious God takes your role, husbands. And I pray that this sermon is just the start as you begin to meditate on what this really means for you in your marriage. Because some of you, maybe all of you, all of us, I'll include myself in there too, we need to confess sin to our wives and get right with God. Because it's a relationship with our wife is why we maybe feel distant from the Lord. But here's the thing. We've got to take seriously what God says is our role as a husband. 
But the goal of this sermon is not just to beat you down and feel this big as a husband. Because I felt this big all week as I prepared to look at it. But here's the thing. Here's the way God made us is that, is that you can't do it on your own, husbands. This is, the goal of the sermon is not just a do-better sermon. The goal of the sermon is for you to say, I can't live up to these standards, but Christ can. I can't live with my wife in an understanding way, but Christ can. And I need his Holy Spirit indwelling within me, empowering me to be the husband God has called me to be. You can't. You can't do it. You can't do it by just trying a little bit harder. You can't do it by just saying, well, if I just come home 15 minutes early. These might be really practical things that maybe through the Holy Spirit he's telling you to do. I'm not saying don't do anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying on your own strength, you can't do it. You can't do it. But Christ can. Only through Christ can you live with your wife in an understanding way? Can you show honor to her as a weaker vessel because she is heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered? Insert your name in there. Likewise, Kyle, live with your wife in an understanding way. Only through Christ can you do that. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit can you do that. Because you see, as believers, we have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living inside of us, empowering us to live out what he's called us to do in his word. So if you're struggling to be the husband God's called you to be, you need Christ to be able to do that. As we wrap up, the stakes are too high, husbands, for you to not take your role seriously and lean into Christ every single day. Sunday feedings of here are not enough. You need Christ every day. There's a pastoral staff and many men in this church that would love to disciple you and love to meet with you and love to teach you how to read your Bible and teach you how to pray and teach you how to spend time and hear from God every single day. I have a wife and two kids and I can't do it without him. A Sunday sermon, we are blessed with a pastor that preaches the word, but just listening to that on Sundays is not enough. You've got to go home and do it yourself. You've got to draw that strength from the Lord. So husbands, your role is clear. Admit sin to your wife and to God, and let this be the day that you work to be the Bible-reading, wife-loving, children-discipling, God-dependent, spirit-empowered man that you are called to be. One more time, let this be the day that you become the Bible-reading, wife-loving, children-discipling, God-dependent, spirit-empowered man that you are called to be. And, and wives, maybe here's where you can tune back in. Wives, pray for your husbands. Last week you heard a great sermon on, on the first six verses of this chapter, walking through what it means to be a godly wife. Pray for your husbands. You see the weight that he has put on him. You see what God's called him to do. It's a mighty, weighty task. Pray for him. The goal of the sermon is for not you to say, oh, yeah, here's 12 ways my husband falls up short. No, pray for him. Encourage him. Help him. You're his helpmate. Help him. And let this be the day you pursue Christ. Pray for your husband. Look to live out your role as a God-fearing wife that he's calling you to be. Single guys, this is the standard. By single, I mean those that do, don't have a ring on it. This is the standard. 
This is what you're signing up for as you're preparing for marriage or as marriage is even on your horizon. This is the standard. So if you're not going to take it seriously, don't get married yet. You've got to take your role seriously because God is going to hold you accountable and your prayers might be hindered. So get discipled, read your Bible, spend time with the Lord. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, act like men. Single ladies, my sisters in the room, you see the standard for a future husband. And I beg you, please don't settle. Please don't give in. Please don't, don't say, well, he, he'll get there. Or he, maybe if, maybe if, if I can coach him, I, I, please don't settle. You were bought with a price. Jesus loved you so much, he purchased you with his own blood. You deserve someone who's going to treat you that way. God, God is never not in control. He always has a plan. He knows exactly where you're at. His hand is on your life. Do not settle. Don't let anyone treat you with any less honor that you deserve. So why are the stakes so high for husbands? Husbands are called to represent Christ and his glorious gospel. So we're getting ready to come up for a time of response here in just a minute. And I want to challenge you. How will you respond to how God is working in your life? Maybe, what's your big takeaway? Maybe you need to just write in the notes of, of, of your worship guide, something to think about, an action step to take maybe. Or maybe you need to come up here to the altar. We're getting ready to have, after I pray, we'll have pastors up here to pray, pray with you. And maybe you just need to bring your wife up here and start fresh and pray and pour it out to the Lord. Maybe it's time for you to take your role as a husband seriously. And maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe this gospel is new to you, or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but the Lord is working in your life. And it's so simple. You don't have to buy it. You, you haven't earned it. Jesus did it all. And Romans 10, 9 lays it out beautifully, because if you confess with your mouth, because you confess, it makes it real. Speak about what's going on in your heart. And you believe in your heart. It's almost like the flip those. You believe in your heart. You confess with what's going on in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. You just say, God, I'm a sinner. I see that I've fallen short every single day. I'm a sinner. I need you. I see what Christ did for me. I saw that he loved me so much. I see that he loves me so much. And I'm going to put my faith in him. And you are a new creation. doesn't matter what you thought, said, or did. Your past is gone. Think about the baptisms we just had. You are washed away. You are clean. The baptism is an, is an outward representation of what's taking place on the inside through Christ. So as we have pastors that will be up here, if you'd like a pastor to pray with you or your family, I know it's hard sometimes to know where to get started. You'll just come up and say family, and they'll take you from there, and they will pray with you over you and your family. If you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, if you'd like to make today the day that you can seal your fate for eternity because of what Christ did for you and start living for him, then come up to a pastor and say, Jesus. That's all you have to say. Jesus. And they will take it from there. God puts such a weight on husbands because husbands are called to represent Christ in his glorious gospel. Men, the stakes are too high for you to not take your role seriously and lean into Christ every single day. 
Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done through the gospel. Lord, we fall short. Every single day we fall short, but I thank you that you've given us your spirit to empower us. Father God, I ask that you will help us to respond how you're working in our hearts. Let us not be consumed with what's what's happening after this with the lunch or the cookout or the barbecues or whatever's going on next. I pray that you will help us to respond how you're working in our hearts. I pray specifically for the husbands in the room and the future husbands in the room. I pray that you will help us to take this role seriously. Let this be the day. Let this be the day that we take our role seriously before you. We love you, Lord. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I, let this be the day, Lord God, that you will help souls to be one for you. If there's anyone here that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today will be the day that they will come forward, put their faith in you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.